you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and as you make your way there, I want to kind of just highlight a couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, I asked Pastor Kyle if I could kind of take the pulpit down, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, I want you to see exactly where my message comes from this morning. I want you to see the Bible as I preach God's Word to you. But number two, there is no bigger critic on my preaching in this room than myself. And so as I was watching the sermons that I had preached in the past, I kept noticing that that pulpit was at the right height for my elbows. And the whole time I was preaching to you, I kept putting my elbows on the table, and it was a huge distraction for me. And so if that was a distraction for any of you, I apologize. See, now what's going to happen is if we bring the pulpit out, you're going to be like, yep, there it is. I see what he's talking about. All right, so I just, I just said, let's just remove the distractions so that I can just bring to you the Word of God without distraction so that you can really see who Christ is. And I also want to say this, uh, I'm really excited. Over the last month here at Center Church, we have had six families partner with Center Church Brenham. And uh, we are super excited. Yeah, you can clap your hands for that. And not only that, it, it, we had a, a basics class, which is a class about kind of how we, you can be a partner and get to know more about the church and how we're structured and how we're functioning. And, and a couple of months ago, we, we had our, a basics class that we were a part of. And because we've had so many people coming and interested in the church that we're having another basics class today as well. So within two months, we had to add another basics class to the schedule because God is bringing people. And I believe that God is doing a work here at Center Church. Amen. Like, I really believe that. And God is bringing people. And here's what I want you to be encouraged by. I'm thankful that the Lord is bringing people to Center Church for this reason, because we want to send you out. We don't, we don't want to hoard you to ourselves. We want to, we want to disciple you with the intent to send you. Whether that be into your community, where you are, in your jobs, in your lives. And, and, and Pastor Kyle has a vision to see us plant churches. So the more people that God brings, the more people we disciple, then the more people we're going to send to go plant more churches. But also, we have a vision to see you go and take the gospel to the nations. And so as God continues to bring people, we want to be able to send them out to go and reach the three billion people in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage our Center Church partners to continue to do. Number one, continue to invite people to Center Church Renum. Continue to invite your friends and the people you meet on a daily and weekly basis to come and see what God is up to here at Center Church. But number two, I want to encourage you to invite, more importantly, people to Jesus. Through your lives and through your words, continue to invite people to Christ, the only one who can save them and change their lives. All right, I've given you enough time. To make it to Colossians chapter 2, yes? So we're in Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 16. I want you to know from the outset, before we get started, this is in fact what I'm about to be preaching on in verses 16 on down to 23. This in fact is the hardest section of the entire letter. As I've studied it, it has given me the most trouble in, in trying to not only interpret it, but try to understand Paul's argument, because this is the bulk of Paul's argument. Paul, who wrote the letter to the, to the church in Colossae, this is the, the bulk of his argument against the false teachers. In fact, the original language in here in a couple of these verses is really difficult. And so I always like the kid with Pastor Kyle, I'm like, you always give me the hard ones. <laughs> 
And so I'm like, so here we are. We're, we're going to have to tackle this. So you're going to have to really kind of sit with me here, look into the scriptures, because I believe that that Paul in this letter is unanimous among scholars that nobody really understands the truly the the false teaching that is going on in this text. But as Pastor Kyle preached last week, he he showed us kind of the the main four points of the argument for the false teachers. If you have your Bible, look real quick with me in chapter 2, verse 8. Now let's just kind of see the overall structure of the false teachers, and then we're going to actually move into the false teaching starting in verse 16. So verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So now, Paul says, let me explain. Let me, let me work that out for you. So here's what I want you to do. This text, what Paul is ultimately saying in this text, he says to the, the church in Colossae, and he's saying to us, don't believe the lies. That's the whole thing I want you to take away from my sermon this morning. Don't believe the lies of the false teachers. And let me tell you, when we look at the teachings here, the, the lies of these false teachers and how they live their lives... I'm going to show you that these false teachings weren't just a problem for the church of Colossae nearly 2,000 years ago. In fact, I want to argue that a lot of these teachings are still very real and relevant both within the church and our culture today. Paul says, don't believe the lies. And after every lie, what's amazing is that Paul gives you Christ as the answer. Uh, Last week, Pastor Kyle was joking and he said, he used to tell students, one plus one equals and everybody would say two, but then he would say Jesus, because the answer is always Jesus. And, and Paul's going to give the same thing. He's going to come at it from a couple of different angles, but, but the different angles he's going to give, he's going to say Christ is the true answer and truth that refutes these lies. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the text, and I want you to see if you can spot the three lies, okay? And I'll have you come up and give an answer. I'm just kidding. You won't do that. We're not, we're not that kind of church. See if you can spot the three lies and before I tell them to you. Verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value. Why, Paul? Why are they of no value? Well, they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How many of you said, oh, I saw the three lies? Yeah, it's pretty tough. Remember, I told you this is one of the hardest, difficult passages in the entire book of Colossians. So let me give you the three lies that we're going to not buy into. 
And as we not buy into these three lies, we're going to respond to these lies with gospel truth. So the first lie is this from verse 7, 16. The first lie is this. Don't believe the lie of legalism. Don't believe the lie of legalism. Now, I want to be very clear what I mean by legalism before I kind of dive into this. Legalism says, when we, when we think of the term legalism, legalism says, well, I can do certain things to earn God's favor. I can do certain things to earn God's love. That's, that's legalism. Legalism says salvation ultimately depends on me and my work. And Paul says, don't believe that lie. And that legalism lie, it's still very real in our churches today. It is even still very real in culture around us. And Paul says, don't believe the lie of legalism. Now, I want to be clear. This is talking specifically, Paul is talking salvation. He is not talking sanctification. So sanctification is the the concept that once you believe in Christ's work for you, now Jesus changes your life. He grows you into his image. That's what we call salvation. This is not what Paul is talking about. Paul does not have salvation in mind right here. He, excuse me, he does not have sanctification in mind right here. He has sanctification coming in chapter three. And here's the point that you need to recognize. When we are saved, when we are saved, Jesus calls us to a new life. But salvation is not dependent on our works. Salvation is dependent solely and only on the work of Jesus Christ. Look how Paul says it. He says to them in verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Now notice he's not even talking to the false teachers. He's talking to the church. He tells them, let no one pass judgment on you, church, in these areas, in the questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Obviously, then, Paul is arguing against the lie that these false teachers have brought in. These false teachers have brought in, basically, most likely, when it comes to food, probably the dietary laws that we saw in the Old Testament. Maybe they could be talking about the, the, the food that's been offered to idols that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 8. In questions of drink, most likely, Paul has in mind here that the false teachers are saying, this is how you earn your salvation, by you abstain from drinking certain things. Most likely he has in mind here alcohol. And then lastly, he says, not only that, but don't just worry about diet. They want to put diet restrictions on you, but they also want to put daily restrictions on you. He says, don't let them judge you based off of regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. So here's obviously what the, the false teachers are coming in and saying. Their false teachers are coming to the church at Colossae and they're saying, listen, guys. They're saying, what you need to do in order to be saved is you need to eat this way. You need to drink this way and you need to worship thee on these days. And if you do do those three things, then God will love you and then God will save you. That's what we call what? Legalism. Paul says, don't buy that lie. If Paul was going to talk about, and, and let's be clear, Paul talks very extensively about food laws and drinking laws. In, in fact, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how to, the conscience of the weaker brother as they used, they were, the Corinthian church was eating meat offered to idols. Paul talks about, hey, church in Corinth, stop getting drunk when you partake in the Lord's Supper. Yes, you think center church has problems? At least we're not as bad as the Corinthians, right? 
They were getting drunk and, and they were doing all these crazy things. And Paul's coming out and he's saying, hey, you got to fix this. You got to fix this. Not as a means of salvation, but as a means of sanctification, as a means of keeping the unity within the church. And then Paul says, don't even let them make you worship on certain days. It's thinking that this work, if you come and worship on these moments, that it's going to save you. Paul says, these are lies. But brothers and sisters, let's be truly honest with ourselves. Don't we like the lie of legalism? Don't look at me all spiritual. You know you like the lie of legalism. Because what does legalism do? Well, it does two things. Number one, it makes you feel like you're in control, doesn't it? Don't you like the idea of being in control? I mean, we're, we're Americans, so we're, we're kind of proud of being in control of our own lives. And the idea of putting salvation into our hands, sometimes that really kind of attracts us, doesn't it? Well, I can be good enough. I can go to the right church. I can say the right things. I can say the right prayers. I can memorize the right scriptures. And then God will love me. And then God will show me favor. And then God will show me grace. We like to put that control in our lives. But secondly, you know what else legalism like we like to do with legalism? We like to put ourselves on a pedestal. Legalism says, look how awesome I am spiritually. This is why Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. Because when you are engaged in legalism, you begin to judge others for not being as good as you. You see the dangers? You see the dangers of buying into this belief? But listen, brothers and sisters, this is in the church. The church has, and some churches have bought into the idea that salvation alone, this is why some churches, uh, salvation alone is through works alone. Some churches preach moralism. Moralism, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be saved. And you know what that type of churching does, type of church message does to people it enslaves us legalism enslaves people the reason why legalism enslaves people is because we say um you're not good enough keep working at it keep working at it so you can earn your freedom in christ and paul says don't buy into that lie but we like that lie we like that lie because we like to control and we like to think that we're superior to others. Jimmy Scroggins, a pastor out at West Palm Beach, Florida, he likes to say this. He said, inside of every single one of us is a little Pharisee trying to get out. The gospel just pushes them back down. So how does Paul answer legalism? Look what he says in verse 17. Paul says, these are a shadow these days and these diets from the Old Testament, they are a shadow of what? Of the things to come. But the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. Paul says, let me, let me share with you the difference. Let me give you the truth. He says, legalism can't save you. And all those things from the Old Testament... All those dietary laws and all those drinking laws and all those worshiping of days that were designed to remind the people of God's work for them. He says, those are merely shadows. They dimly reveal what God is about, what God has done. And he says, those are shadows of what? The substance who belongs to Christ. Now that Christ has walked onto the scene, Paul says the answer is that only Christ can save you because 
It is not how you eat or what you drink that makes you pure. It's believing in Jesus that makes you pure. It's not worshiping on certain days that makes you holy. It is Christ who makes you holy. These were all shadows. They were designed to be something that God used in the Old Testament and in the past to point you to the truth of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's how we refute legalism. Legalism says my works lead to my salvation. The gospel says, Paul, the gospel says, no, Christ's work on my behalf leads to salvation and freedom. You see it? How does that work? I almost wore a shirt today uh, when I baptized three of our children. I have a shirt that uh, we baptized in at Summit, and it says, Jesus in my place. And the whole point of that message was simply this. When we were baptizing my children at that church, there was a, it was a reminder that the baptism that they were about to reveal and show to the people was that they were saying in that baptism, they're saying, I am trusting in the work of Jesus for my salvation. And that frees you. The gospel frees you. Because, listen, let's be honest, if, if God put salvation into our hands, we would mess it up every time, right? Like, we're pretty good at that. If you don't think so, just read Genesis 1 and 2, and then right in Genesis 3, guess what humanity does? We mess it up pretty quickly. Within two chapters, chapter 3, we mess it up. It all comes crumbling down. And God says, I'm not going to put that on you. Instead, God, out of his love and out of his mercy and out of his grace, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son to do the work for you. And you can trust in his work. His work brings eternal freedom and eternal security. Jesus, listen, this is what Paul is saying when he talks about the substance of Christ. Listen, Jesus is, Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live because of our sin. Jesus had no sin. Like, can you imagine being Jesus' brother? I always think about Jesus being one of Jesus' brothers. Like Mary, when she gets mad at, at like James or one of them, and she's like, can't you just be more like Jesus? No, I can't be more like Jesus. Because he's the son of God, and I am not. He is perfect. He has no sins. What would it be like? This, this is like totally an aside in my own imagination. Like, what would it be like to raise Jesus? I know some of us think that our children are Jesus, but let's... Um, Stick to the word here. <clears throat> right? But have you ever, like, what would it be like to raise Jesus who had no sin? Like, he never talked back. When he said, go get a bath, he said, yes, sir. Clean your room. Yes, ma'am. Oh, man. He lived the perfect life for us. But then he went to a cross and he died our death. He died the death we deserved. And we deserve eternal wrath and eternal death. And so God puts his son on the cross to take the sins of the world. But the story doesn't stop there. Jesus rose again on the third day to prove that he had defeated sin, that he had defeated the enemy, and that he had removed the stinger of death. For all those, Paul says in another letter, Romans 10, for all those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you believe and trust in the work of Jesus, that is sufficient for salvation. That's it. God did the work for you. And when you believe that, it frees you. No longer do you have to worry if you've done good enough. Because the answer is you haven't. 
When we stand before a holy God, we reveal the sin. That's why Isaiah says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amidst the people of unclean lips. Why? He says, because I see the sin in my life when I look at the holiness of God. And God says, don't worry, Isaiah. He says, don't worry, sinner church family. Guess what? I've done the work for you. I sent my son to make you holy. I sent my son to make you blameless. I sent my son to save you and reconnect and restore the relationship with me. And listen, when you believe that, it frees you. The gospel frees you from legalism. Paul says these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, let me take this outside to the culture as well. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers of all time, C.S. Lewis was a professor in Oxford. And as C.S. Lewis was walking down the hallway one day at Oxford University, some of his professors and his colleagues had got onto a blackboard and they had written out every single religion that they could think of. And C.S. Lewis is walking by and they're like, hey, Clive, come in here for a second. C.S. Clive. C is for Clive, just so you know. All right. So Clive walks in and he looks at the board and they say, hey, C.S., you're a Christian. What makes Christianity so different from all those other religions? And C.S. Lewis, again, he is a gifted man by God. Just can't wait to sit and talk with him one day. Have tea. They don't, right? Tea. So we drink some tea. He looks at the board and he goes, oh, that's easy. Grace. See, all those other religions, they, they miss grace. All those other religions say, do this, do this, do this, and you might be saved. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity is all about the grace of God and believing in the work of Christ for salvation. Brothers and sisters, listen, legalism is not just something that's a serious lie in the church, but it is something that is a serious lie in the world. And if you truly believe that Christ is the only way to salvation and that no work can bring people to salvation, then that should burden us. That should burden us for lost people. Did you know that right now, three billion people in this world have never heard the name of Jesus? Three billion people in this world will be raised in a, in a country or in a culture that will never hear Jesus. They will go through life without hearing Jesus. They will die without hearing Jesus. And they will spend eternity in hell because they never heard Jesus. And we have the answer. And all of these religions out there, I've been to two of them. And all these other religions say, do this and this false God will love you. Do this and this false God will, will find favor with you. I was, I was in the Middle East. And I was working with some people in the Middle East and every single day these, these men, they would walk out five times a day and they would pray, get on their knees and they would pray to a specific direction. And then one of the months they would fast all day. And I asked them, I said, why? Why do you do that? I'm like, oh, Jeremy, I have to be good because then my false God will love me. If I'm just 51% good, then my false God will allow me into His presence. And it broke my heart. Because I said, oh, what pressure you have. What pressure you have put on yourself. Did you know that there's a God, a true God of the Bible, who says, don't worry, your work will never be sufficient, but I've done the work for you. What would that look like in your life? When I was in Japan a couple of times, we would go visit Buddhist temples in the middle of Tokyo. 
And I would watch heartbroken after Japanese person after Japanese person would walk in and they would give money and they would do things and they would go clap their hands to their to the idol of their false god and they would pray and they would say, God, please, please forgive, please let me be good enough to earn this. Let enjoy this money, enjoy this, enjoy that in my life, and then you'll save me. And as I watched over and over, I just couldn't help but feel the weeping in my heart because I thought to myself, they don't get it. They are, they are enslaved to their own false religion because they think if those works will save them, the reality is they're lost. Because only Christ and His work can truly save them from their sin. Brothers and sisters, Center Church partners, does the truth of the Gospel cause you to live on mission for Jesus? There are people who are living in verse 16 that need to hear the truth of verse 17. And God says, church, your plan A, there is no plan B. Number two, don't believe in the lie of false humility. Don't believe in the lie of false humility. Look at verse 18. This is where it comes out of. Paul says, let no one disqualify you. I like this word disqualify here. In the, in the original language, the word disqualify means an umpire rejecting somebody from a meet. So I'm just going to let you in on a little Jeremy secret. All right. I love, I love watching MLB umpires throw people out of games. Like, honestly, I would love to go into a career of MLB, you know, umpiring just so I could like somebody would just say one thing or do something. And I can just Ear out of here. Like, I just, I love, I'll watch YouTube videos all day on that. Like, best umpire throwouts, you know? What Paul is saying here is he's basically saying that to this church. He's saying these, these false teachers, they're coming in and they're trying to throw you out of the game. Paul says, don't let them throw you out of the game. Don't believe in their lies of false humility. Where does the false humility come from? Look what he says. This is what they insist upon. This is why they're trying to disqualify the church, they say they insist on things called asceticism, which is a severe self-discipline, form of self-discipline. They, they insist on the worship of angels and they go on in detail about visions and they're puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Do you, you see what Paul is saying the false teachers are doing? The false teachers are saying, listen, church, you want to be saved like me? And this is what you need to do. You, you need to go about having this severe form of self-discipline. You need to worship angels, not Christ. We're, and, and what's going to happen is as you do these things, you're going to get some visions. And then what Paul says here, he says they're going to be puffed up. That, that word puffed up means arrogant. This is why I say false humility. Their arrogance calls them to, without reason, by their, their sensuous minds. Here's what the false teachers are saying to the people. They're saying, listen, you want to be saved? Be like me. That is the true mark of a false teacher. A false teacher is not about pointing you to the one who can save you. The false teacher is about pointing you to who? Themselves. You want to be like me? You want to be saved? You want to come to this kind of spiritual condition? Well, then you need to practice this form of severe self-discipline. You need to worship these angels. And then you'll start having visions. And once you have those visions, then you'll know that you're kind of starting to become into the in crowd. And then what happens? They become arrogant. They become arrogant. This is a false form of humility. A false form of humility says, look at the way that I live my life. Look at my asceticism and my worship of angels. But you don't look at that to point to something else. You look at that, so what? So you see me. And this is very, very real in our world today, isn't it? 
How many people, I've heard sermons of people who, who they thought, as, they, as I, I thought as they were preaching, I'm like, you must think you're Jesus. Because you're calling everybody to be like you, you're not calling everybody to be like him. It puffs you up and it makes you arrogant. This is exactly what the religious Pharisees, Jesus condemns them for. It's like, look, on the outside you look clean, but on the inside you're dirty. So what does Paul say? Why are they doing this? Look at verse 19. Because they are not holding fast to the head. They're not holding fast to Christ. That word head there is capitalized, and I think as well as it should be capitalized, because if you look really quick over to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this about Jesus. It says, He is the head of the body, the church. These false teachers are not clinging to Jesus. In fact, they're pushing Jesus to the side and they're clinging to their selves. And Paul says, you're missing the point. Because it's through the head, through Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. And it grows with the growth that is from God. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't buy the lie of false humility. He says, the truth is, the gospel brings gospel humility. It's only through Christ that you get gospel humility because you recognize what the work of Christ is on your behalf and therefore you say, my entire life from now on is designed to point people to Jesus. I love it in the terms of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is by far one of my favorite uh, characters or people in the Bible. John the Baptist reminds me, if I had to pick a, like, okay, let's see if we can remember, let's do a little cultural relevancy here, okay? If I had to pick a person in today's society that would remind me of John the Baptist, it would be Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Like, I just, I just, I, like, he had long hair, he has long beards, a beard, and then have two beards, he has a beard. John the Baptist kind of did his own thing, he wore camel's hair, he kind of like, they had this weird dress, kind of like, you know, camo all the time, camo Crocs. Right? And, and he would eat locusts and honey. And he lived in the wilderness. And like, he was just kind of a manly man, but strange dude, all wrapped into one guy, right? And in John chapter 4, I'm going to show you what a gospel humility do. I'm going to show you what a, what a true person who holds on to the head who is Christ and sees that growth comes from God alone. I'm going to show you what a true gospel humility person is in John the Baptist. In John chapter 4, his disciples run up to him and they said, Hey, John, um, just want to let you know we're down here at this part of the river. But Jesus is up there at that part of the river. And uh, they're going to Jesus. They've stopped coming to you. What are you going to do about it, John? And John doesn't go, well, I guess, what, I guess I better shave my head. Better put on some cool clothes. Get a nice band up here. Hit a huge campaign strategy. Build my brand. Write a couple of books. John doesn't say that, does he? What does John say? He says, good. My joy is complete. Wait. What, John? They've stopped. Your, your little repent and baptisms are declining. Like your numbers are declining and Jesus's are increasing. And, and, and John goes, that's what I want to celebrate. And then John, in one of the most infamous statements he makes in John chapter 4, he says, the reason is because he must increase so that I must decrease. That's gospel humility. Gospel humility says, you can look at my life. That's fine. You can look at my life, but my life is designed to point you to Christ, not to point you to me. Because I didn't do any of this. It's God's working and it's his growth in me, what you're seeing displayed out here. And the beautiful thing is, Christians, with our testimony, we get to say, listen, 
If God can do this in a sinner like me, he can do it in you. Isn't that beautiful? Don't miss the value of your testimony. Don't believe the lies of false humility. Gospel humility says, look at my life so that I can point you to Jesus. Paul, who I love, who wrote this letter in Colossians, listen to what he says to the young Timothy in 1 Timothy. The saying is trustworthy, Paul says, and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says this, of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, Christ came to save sinners like me. But notice what he does. Look at gospel humility come out of Paul right here in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1. He says, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see it? That's true gospel humility. Paul says, you can look at my life. You can look at what God has done in my life. You can look at the growth as I cling to the head, Christ, who is my only means of salvation. You can look at this. And the reason why I want you to look at this is not so that you see me. It's actually so that you will see through me to Jesus. Because this is what Jesus does in the lives of people who call out to him. This is what Jesus does to people who believe in his work. And his work was salvation, uh, was sufficient on their behalf. You see it? False teachers say, look at me. True believers say, look at Jesus. Number three, and the last of the lies here. Don't believe the lie of religion. Verse 20 says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? Why do you still submit to these rules? Referring to things that all perish, like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you all do this? Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting what? Self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, these false teachers have brought religion into you and they brought this self-centered, self-made religion as a mean to make you holy. But understand that religion can't make you holy. This is why Jesus says the most meanest things to the Pharisees. You whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're so dirty on the inside because religion can't make you holy. Only Christ can make you holy. That's what Paul is saying. Don't buy into this view of self-made religion that these rules... Uh, I, I'm reading a book. Uh, Pastor Kyle mentioned last week that he gave me a book by Eugene Peterson called Running with the Horses. And so maybe I can help give you a... a, a, a some of his words, a quote from him that will help you to understand that religion can't make you holy. In this book on page uh, 64, Eugene Peterson says this. He says, listen, going to church and singing hymns doesn't make you holy. Any more than going into a barn and saying, nay, makes you a horse. You see it? It's not about what you do that makes you holy. It's about what Christ has done that makes you holy. 
That's what Paul is trying to say. Like these self-made religion, these rules and regulations that these false teachers are bringing to you, they have no value. Why do they have no value? They have no value in stopping in the indulgence of the flesh. You don't need an environment change. You need a heart change. You don't need an environment to change. You need a heart change because heart change leads to holiness. That's what Paul is saying. I'm going to give you a quick taste of what Pastor Kyle is going to preach next week to you. Because let me show you the connection that Christ makes here. Chapter 3. Paul says, you don't need all that. Because what you just need is Jesus, and Jesus will change you from the inside out. Verse three, Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There's the gospel. Paul says, you believe in Jesus, Jesus takes his holiness and he puts it in you. And then from that holiness, you begin to turn and live your life. So this is what Paul would say. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Paul then says, because of Christ's holiness that has been given to you, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Put them all away. Verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, he says, because of God's holiness that he has given to you through your faith in Christ, verse 12, put on then, what? As God's chosen ones. This is where your salvation lies. He says, put on as chosen ones, what? Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God the Father through Him. Do you see the difference? Self-made religion says, self-made religion will make you holy. The gospel says, only Christ can make you holy. Christ will clean the inside so that out of that will flow the holiness to the outside. We tell our children... When they have words that come out of their mouths, sometimes they're good words, sometimes they're bad words. Don't judge me, we're not perfect yet. And we always tell our children when something bad comes out of their mouth, we say this, we said, you know what just came out of your, ma- your mouth, son or daughter? I don't say names because every time I name drop a child, they get a dollar. So they want, like right now, Avery's like, oh man, I just said your name. All right, it's one dollar, Avery. That's their, that's their royalty fee for being used as examples in my sermons. But we always tell our children, we're like, what just came out of your mouth is a direct reflection of what's in your heart. I, can't ch- I can change your behavior. I can make you stop saying bad things. I just take a duct tape. I'm just kidding. We don't duct tape our kids' mouths. We edit that. I can change your behavior. 
But changing behavior is not going to change your heart. This is why one of the greatest books of all time by Tripp is Shepherding a Child's Heart. Shepherding a Child's Heart is one of the greatest books I've ever read as we parent our children because the reality is, is that my goal as a dad, my goal as a father to these children is to shape their hearts to the gospel so that God will save them and in His salvation of them, then it will start to work itself out in changing their behavior. But church, we get it all wrong. We don't, we do exactly what we do to, what some of us do to our children in the church. We say, oh, we're just gonna change your behavior and that'll change your heart. That's the lie that is Paul is fighting against right here in this very end of this text. The reality is the church says, no, we want to get you to Jesus so that Jesus can change your heart. And once he changes your heart, all that other stuff will change. Once he changes your heart, it'll start to work itself out. In your behavior, Paul says, don't buy the lie of self-made religion because they have the appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made religion, asceticism and severity of body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Only the gospel, only Christ can change your heart and through that change your life and make you holy like he is holy. So how do we respond to a message like this today? A couple of ways. Number one, are, are you enslaved to some form of legalism in your own life? In your mind, do you really think that if I just go to church, if I just say this prayer, if I just do this, if I just do that, then God will love me? I want you to know that there is freedom this morning for you in Christ. There is freedom in Jesus. There is freedom to say that His work was sufficient for you. And if you believe and trust in His work, that's all it takes. That's all you need to begin a relationship with Him today. But ask yourself a question as well. If you're a parent or somebody in this room, have you ever had a moment where you've placed legalism on someone else? Maybe it's time to ask for forgiveness or time to really think about how you project the gospel to others. But how about this? Is there a moment in your life where you're saying, you're believing so much into your legalism that you say, hey, look at my false humility. Look who I have become. Instead of saying, look what Jesus has done in my life. And are you living that way, brothers and sisters? Are you living your life surrounded around the gospel that says, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And if this is what he can do in the chief sinner like me, he can also do this in you, people. He can do this to you wherever you work. He can do this to you wherever you go and eat after service. He can do this to you no matter what. Look what Jesus has done in me and he can do it in you. And then lastly, let me ask the question, has Jesus got such a hold on your heart that you're pursuing holiness? Not a holiness that you can obtain by your own works, but a holiness that has been given to you in Christ. Are you starting to learn how to live out the holiness that Christ has given you through the gospel? Are we living holy lives? Holy lives that are centered around what Christ's work has done for us. So here's how I want to have us respond today as we close. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to just take a few minutes. Take a few minutes just to respond to this message. Where is God pressing in upon your heart right now? And if you're here today and you say, Jeremy, I bought into the lie of legalism, and, and I need to talk about how I can be saved through the work of Jesus, then simply after service, come, come pull me aside, and we'll, we'll have a conversation. And I'll tell you your next steps and what this means to be a follower of Jesus. 
But lastly, here's what I want us to do. After you get done spending time in, in prayer, I'm going to have Pastor Kyle come forward here in just a moment. And one of the marks of the false teachers was that they give themselves in false humility to the people. And so I want to symbolize to you what your pastors here at Center Church, how we really want to be perceived by you. So Pastor Kyle is going to come, and when you get ready to come take communion, he's actually going to hand you the elements. As a symbol that says this, as your pastors here at Center Church, this is all we have to offer you. All we have to offer you is Jesus. All we have to offer you is Christ as found in His Word. This is it. This is the one we want to point you to as He gives you the the bread which represents the body. And He gives you the grape juice. This is grape juice. All of these are grape juice. As He gives you the grape juice that represents the blood of Christ. And then what you'll do is you'll take that and you'll go sit down in your seats and hold it in your hands. Take a moment to reflect and then I will come and lead us together in communion. Sound good? If you had still nodding up and down. Amen. Let's pray and then you respond as the Lord leads. Father, we thank you for your word, for its integrity and its clarity in our lives and in our hearts. Father, where is it in our lives that we have embraced the lies? Legalism, false humility, religion. And we haven't held fast to the head, which is Jesus. Pray, I pray that your spirit would open hearts and lives this morning and change them for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. And prepare our hearts now as we examine ourselves, as we get ready to partake together as the body in, in, our, in communion. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.